Welcome to PR360, a weekly public relations podcast where we bring on the best and brightest minds in the PR industry. We discuss the important topics that you need to know. Tune in every Wednesday to find out. Hosted by Brett Dicer and in partnership with Global Results Communication. Find more information on globalresultspr.com. And welcome to a new episode of PR360. And I'm your host, Brett Dice. If you could please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Leave a review. It really does help with the rankings and let us know how we're doing. But this week, we're going to be talking about communities and trolls and all those other favorite things you love to hear about on social media, which not everybody loves to hear about them because we... (laughs) It really is depending on what your likes are. But with me, it is... Amy Vernon with me, and she has she has actually has superpowers. I don't. I just am a regular person, but she has superpowers. <laughs> she is an engineer, and she has worked with many different companies, both large and small communities, building them up, and even actually turning trolls into avid readers, which is what we all want to know how to figure out that code of doing it. But welcome to the show, Amy. M, my first question as all my guests is, are you a coffee or tea drinker? Coffee. My dad's from London, so I'm supposed to like tea. I can't stand it. Mm. I don't even like iced tea. Interesting. Do you have any favorite coffees that you like to drink? Any brands? I am pretty basic on my coffee. There's a few I don't like. I don't want to. I don't want to single them out because I think it's kind of rude. And everybody has their preferences of coffee. Like right now, I'm. Just drinking some Maxwell House, but I have some I have some Lavazza in the uh, in the closet. Also, I do I do like I do like Lavazza. That's fair enough. I throw Starbucks under the bus all the time, but I still drink it. Yeah, well, that's different. I don't I don't mind. It. I mean, they're they 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 burn their coffee. I mean, <laughs> they burn their coffee. Oh yes, I know this. I was a barista at a <laughs> small coffee shop, <laughs> so I know how much they burn their coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, not that I don't ever drink it, but if I do, it's definitely like a very milk-based coffee, like a uh, a latte or a cappuccino or something, so that's less of the burnt taste. I get you, but funny enough, they actually do burn their milk too, so it's you get both burns. <laughs> there you go. Anyways, moving on, can I give a brief explanation about your expertise and who you are, but can you give a little bit more about your expertise to our listeners? Sure. I do want to correct one thing. I'm not an engineer. I'm just adept at speed, at translating between engineer and, and regular person. So I know I understand the language and I can speak to engineers. And it, it actually disarms them generally because most um, marketing people don't tend to understand engineering speak. Uh, not that I'm like 100% fluent or anything, but enough where I, I know what they're talking about. I can actually edit their copy. They will let me edit their copy because they know that I won't screw it up. And if I'm not sure, I will just ask and that they can explain and I will understand. But I, I worked for traditional newspapers for about 20 years. I was a newspaper reporter and then editor. I was part of the Miami Herald uh, staff that won the Pulitzer for coverage of Hurricane Andrew and uh, worked for a few other papers after that. And in 2008, when everything sort of came crashing down, I decided to try to stay out of news media and started, I was already doing a lot of social media stuff because of Dig and Reddit and StumbleUpon, 
So I decided to sort of branch out in this area. I have worked for a couple of media companies since then, but in audience development. And actually, that's where I started getting uh, trolls converted to readers. Nice. And we're going to be talking about a little bit about that later on the show. But first off is how do you create, or it seems like creating highly engaged communities seems to get harder and harder every year because everybody's in their own little communities and who wants to branch out anymore. So how do you plan or strategize to build a highly engaged community? We've kind of been saying this for, for years, you know, all of us in, in various industries relating to marketing and PR is that, you know, you go where the people are. So of course you start with that. I mean, that's, that's sort of the, the basic, but I, I think it's really good to focus on one area first now, especially before it was easier to sort of start off in two or three, because there were only like two or three. <laughs> and so you could kind of spread yourself, but now it's really figuring out which part of your audience is the one that is most important to capture as an actual community, as opposed to just being an audience and where they are, and then going there and being with them there. Uh, that's really where you need to start. And it can be on these other platforms, but that's where you need to, to spend most of your focus and time. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, you saying we're go where people are. It's like, they always go to a different spot. So you're like, I'm here. And then they're like, right. they're off to a different little thing. And it's like, well, I gotta go to this one now. Yeah. And it's, it's like, yeah, well, that's, that's why I say it's like, what, what audience is the, is the, which part of your audience is the most important for you? So when um, I was working for this blockchain company a couple of years ago, Starting out, uh, the initial audience that was most important to us were the uh, token holders who had bought an ICO before I came on board, um, because they were people who had put their money where their mouth was, saying, you know, I believe in this project and I'm going to buy into it. And they were primarily on, uh, on Telegram. And so that was where we spent more of our focus. They were on Twitter, too, and there were other audiences. There were probably people on Twitter who were very interested in the technology, but if we couldn't capture that sort of initial audience that really was the most important to us and the most important to our success, because these were the people who had the biggest both incentive and opportunity to help carry our word further. If we couldn't capture them and really turn them into an actual community as opposed to just a group of people who spent some money, then we weren't gonna be able to do that in other places. Gotcha. I mean, and that's even going into like, there's a difference because you can create an external community and then an internal community and you have two different dynamics because, well, you have everybody else, you have your employees, but your employees are basically there and you can use mm -hmm. email, but who actually sometimes opens their work emails when they don't need to open that email. They're like, oh, yay, I get another email to read. Yeah. So, I mean, how do you strategize to actually do build a really great internal community with that? Because there probably are different strategies to that too. You could use social media, but whoever checks their company pages anyways, I mean, I'm sometimes like, Oh, okay. I'll check every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you, you know what's going on there. And, and it's interesting because whenever, um, whenever I start somewhere and we're talking about 
building community, one of the things that I really do point out is that you have to build this internal community. And it's very important to make sure that there is one primary communication platform that you use outside of email. And whether that's Slack or, you know, some people are starting to use Discord for that now because kids these days and their MTV. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a little old. So you know, people use Teams, you know, just all sorts of, uh, you know, all sorts of different uh, platforms like that. We happen to use Slack at my current company now. We have a lot of different channels for different purposes. We have one that's like random where we'll just post weird things or interesting things. We have one that's like general, which is sort of like industry related news. And then we have like one that's called admin and it's sort of like anything that we need to make sure that everybody sees or that we want everybody to see, pardon me, we'll post in that channel and we're doing a series of um, internal interviews with uh, staff who aren't mentioned and pictured on our website to, because we're a fully distributed company even before the pandemic and after, if it ever ends. Um, we, you know, we're fully distributed and we're all over the world. I think we're in 10 or 11 different time zones. So we don't have the same sort of ease of getting to know each other. You might somewhere else where you're all in the same building. Um, and obviously with the pandemic, we can't, can't even have like company retreats where we all gather in one place. Um, so we've been doing these internal interviews and it's been really nice because um, people have been, you know, I drop them in there the day, the day or day after they post and say, hey, you know, this is, you know, learn more about your, your colleague or mention something that's from there. And people have been commenting on it and, and they really have enjoyed learning a little bit more about their colleagues. And, and they've, I think they've also enjoyed having the chance to sort of expose that non-work side of them. Some of it does have to do with work and what they're doing, what they like about it and how they got into it. But there's also stuff about them as people. And it's been, it's been really nice. And we've been trying to encourage, you know, more people internally to write uh, for our insights section as well. And uh, as a matter of fact, our, our trading assistant just wrote her first piece on sort of like her journey toward becoming a trader because she just moved into that in the last few months. And it was really, you know, we worked with her very closely on it. My editor and her worked very closely on it and she really enjoyed it because it was a kind of writing that she hadn't really gotten to do in a long time. And her mom even cried. It was, I thought it was really sweet. Her mom loved it. And it was, it was really nice. It just, it really brought, this human element reminded all of us that like, you know, we're all these interesting people with interesting backgrounds and um, no matter what our role is, there's something cool about each of us. And we just don't know what they are because we just don't know each other that well yet. So what you're saying is that to help with building internal communities, you need to, well, find a platform other than email. It seems like you can use email, but and then yeah. use user generated content or even diversify your content. It seems like, mm-hmm. does it seem like you have to diversify it more and more because you have podcasting, you have video, you have pictures, blogs and everything else, or can you keep it simple? 
We're still a relatively small company. I mean, we're less than 30 people, though a year and a half ago, I think there were like eight people. So it's, it's grown pretty quickly. But I think for internal, until you get like really big, you don't have to really diversify that much. Where you need to diversify really is just keeping in mind who is in your company. So for example, at the end of the year last year, some uh, one of my bosses was like, oh, we should do a Christmas card, a holiday card. And we realized that, you know, some of our staff were neither Christian or Jewish and actually also not Muslim. I mean, we have a couple of people who are Hindi. And so we did a New Year's card because everybody celebrates New Year's. So we sent a New Year's card with a message from uh, the, the CIO and, and CTO to everyone. And everybody really liked it. It was a really cool picture of us on the outside of the NASDAQ building and company name on, on the light board there. And everybody sort of felt like they had contributed to that being possible, which they had. And it was it was a New Year's card, like I said, which is something that everybody celebrates. So it's remembering those types of things and remembering, you know, that people will drop in other holidays and like show what they eat for that holiday or the fireworks that are for that holiday or other things. And everybody will just sort of chime in and, and wish them a, a good holiday because it's, it's cool. We're learning about each other and each other's cultures and, and religions. And that's, that's really where you need to make sure that you're diversifying so that you're not making anyone feel like they're not part of, of the collective. I mean, obviously we wish people a Merry Christmas because there are a lot of people who celebrate Christmas, but we also wish our staffers happy Holly, which is Hindi holiday in India. And so it's really, that's where the diversification has to come in. The type of platform, like I said, until you're really big, you don't need to, I, I feel, I mean, I'm sure other people have other opinions, but like a Coca-Cola or something, I'm sure needs to have lots of different ways to communicate with their their staff all over the world because there's thousands, I don't know, tens of thousands probably. I don't I don't even know. We're thirty people. We one platform is, is more than adequate at the moment. <laughs> no worries. And it's you probably have a small team of marketers, which makes it even harder to do more than one platform. Just yep. me. <laughs> like I've done before by myself and I'm like, how do I do content for five different platforms on my own? It's, it can be difficult. And then they're like, we got to have new content all the time. I'm like, I'm only one person, <laughs> but yeah, exactly. anyways, moving on to more of trolls because it's been one of those things where everybody's like, Oh yeah, we get to talk about the thing that no one really wants to talk about because we all love trolls. But how do you turn those into avid readers? Because that seems to be a little bit more difficult because everybody has a chip on their shoulder when we're talking about social media and online. There's a couple of things. First of all, there's different kinds of trolls. There are trolls who are looking for attention. There are trolls who are actually just really like mean, awful people and after a sort of an initial effort to try to speak to them. I don't really feel that they deserve more of your time. I mean, there's only so much you can do. I, as, as I said, you know, it's always okay to punch Nazis. It's like, 
just go Indiana Jones. It's like someone who is, is like that, who is actually racist, sexist, homophobic, and unapologetically so. You don't really, you don't, those aren't people you want to be frequenting where you are. And you need to actually put your foot down and, and make it clear that, that that language is not tolerated. But I worked at the Daily Dot a few years ago, and we had, because uh, the Daily Dot sort of covers the culture of the internet, which obviously has a lot of different types of cultures, but there is sort of an overarching type of of culture to the internet. And so we covered a lot of different topics, and a lot of, there's a lot of communities on, on the internet, obviously. And um, we had a couple of writers who sort of cover meme culture. And people who are really into memes, like on Reddit and, and other places, they, they get very upset when they see their favorite meme written about by any publication, because then they sort of feel like, oh, well, it's over now. It's like, I can't use that meme anymore. And so they would come into our Facebook messages all upset and, and telling us how we'd killed their meme and everything. And I, I started... Um, I started responding with Facebook stickers and just like really, really goofy ones, like just ridiculous, silly ones. And it sort of disarmed them at first. And then I started talking to them a little bit. And then they, there was one meme that they loved. I'm trying to remember the name of it. I can't remember the name of it, but it was um, a frog on a bicycle. And, and they were really upset because they weren't finished with it yet. And they felt like we had just destroyed it because we wrote about it. And that was, it was so awful of us. And I was joking with them all day. And it culminated in them daring us to replace our logo on the Facebook page uh, with it. So actually, one of our artists added, the, turned like the D into a bicycle wheel and added the frog. And we actually made it our Facebook logo for an hour. And they loved it and they because we went along with their joke because really they were just they were they serious like a little bit you know I mean just sort of like anyone is like oh well now now everybody knows about this band and now I don't like them anymore you know there's a little bit of that but they mostly were like they they said to me at one point we send these same types of messages to like BuzzFeed and other places and no one's ever responded to us before they started sending us memes. They were jokingly saying, oh, can you kill this one? But really they wanted us to write about it. And we wrote about some of them. We ended up getting a story tip with evidence. We broke the story about a network of Facebook groups that were being sold to this Macedonian collective after they had built up these audiences. And then the people who ran them no longer wanted to manage because it had just gotten so big. And so they sold them to this group. And it was because we had proved that we understood meme culture, that we treated them like people and not like gnats that we needed to just swat away. And we, that was, that was really it. It's like we treated them like people. And they realized that, yeah, we wrote the silly stuff, but we, they started actually reading us as opposed to just, seeing that we wrote about this meme and they started giving us stories. So almost like give 
from your perspective, almost give in to the meme culture or at least make fun of the meme culture at the same time and give your audience what they want to a certain extent because you can't give everything. Yeah. Right. It's it basically, it's, it's, we showed them that we were in on the joke and it's good. It's good to be a little playful. You know, I mean, obviously there's certain types of companies where there's a lot more regulations maybe, or it's more serious and you can't be, but those don't tend to get those types of trolls. I mean, it's really, it's, it's, it's listening to the people and what the, and in listening to these people, I realized they just wanted a response. And the more we responded, the more they came in and the comments started getting less mean and more jokey. The more we responded to them, the the nicer they were. And this, this goes back to when I was still at the newspaper and we had forums. This was before Facebook was public, you know, open to the public and everything and and before Twitter was a thing. And we had newspaper forums and we had done a a project that they didn't like. Uh, this uh, group of our readers really didn't like. I don't know if they were our readers before that, but they came onto the forums and they were really complaining. One of the reporters on it and I engaged with them and we sort of explained some of the things behind it. We said, you know, we understand what you're saying. We disagree. This is all public record, et cetera, et cetera. But we, we talked to them and we didn't just brush their concerns aside. We explained it. We were nice to them. We were unapologetic. We weren't like, oh, we shouldn't have written this. But when new people would come on and would insult us, they, the people we had been talking to, would jump into the conversation and, and basically say, you can't talk like that to Amy and George. They're really great. They're here all the time and they talk to us. We don't agree with everything they say, but they're really good people. And they would protect us from new trolls. And that's, I mean, that was my biggest lesson in community. That was back in, I don't know, like 2006 or something. That if you're, if you're talking to people and you're like, okay, I hear you. I disagree. This is why I disagree. I don't apologize. I, I do apologize that you feel. There's a time when you can say, I'm sorry you feel that way. When, it, when you're not, when you're saying, you know, I'm not apologizing for doing this. I am, I am sorry that. It bothers you, but I stand by what I said or what we did. Because people respect that. You're, you're still respecting their feelings. I mean, it's different when you actually do something to them and you're like, I'm sorry you feel that way. That's, that's, that's bull. But when, you know, in a circumstance like this, it, it works and it's, it's a real apology. And what, it's not an apology. It's an acknowledgement of their feelings and that their feelings are valid, even if it doesn't change where you're standing. Gotcha. So, I mean, I see two different things. One, don't take yourself too seriously because mm-hmm. if you take yourself too seriously, everybody makes fun of you because it's, you're an easy target. And two, at least try to understand the different side and uh, the the other, I guess, old saying, agree to disagree. Yeah, I mean, they. you may disagree and you may completely stand by what you said or did, but they may still have a valid point. And that's okay. And you can acknowledge they have a valid point without changing what you said or did. And, and I think that that sometimes gets lost because there is a little too much of, 
you know, there's both, we have to listen to both sides, but sometimes there aren't both sides. You know, that goes back to the Nazis thing. <laughs> you know, Nazis are always wrong. <laughs> that one's pretty simple. But, you know, there, there are other things where there are different sides and you can end up not agreeing with each other, but acknowledging that you each respect the other's right to believe the way they do and to speak the way they do. But that that has to be done respectfully to each other because now you understand each other and let's let's have a conversation about this. Because you know what? Really people just, and this is on both of those types of things, people just want to be heard really. That's true. I mean, even moving on when we were talking about forums, you said forums were are becoming a little bit of a thing of the past because of everything. So do you think the future of community building is in Discord, Slack, teams or whatever else there is. Cause I kind of feel everybody, at least from the industries that I follow, everybody in this is the gaming industry, all of them moved over to Slack. They got rid of their forums and went, we're going to Slack. We're going to Reddit. Do you see more of that happening instead? The one thing about forums as opposed to Slack or Reddit or, or discord is that you own your forums when you're, Using someone else's technology or property, you're uh, you're giving up something very valuable. And people discovered that with Facebook. Now, yes, Facebook is a different animal than Discord or Slack, and you're paying for you're paying Slack to be on there as opposed to being the product like you are on Facebook. So there is a, there is definitely an inherent difference there. But at the end, who knows if Slack and Discord and Teams and, well, I mean, Teams is Microsoft, so I'm sure they'll be around in five years. But, um, but you know what I mean? Like, not all of these companies are necessarily going to be around in five years. And then what do you have to do? Like, rebuild somewhere else? It's a balance of going where people are and, and building your own. And the thing is, it's like some of these some of these gaming forums have been around for a really long time and people might say, Oh, I wish you were on discord because that's where I spend most of my time. But you know what? They also want their history. They want their history of all the comments they've made and all the threads they've started and all the things people have said to them. And once you do that, you're giving that up and all of that history is gone. And that's, your own history as a company as well as your user's history. When Dig collapsed and was sold off for parts, users, we lost all we lost all of our, our history. We lost all the comments. We lost all our front pages from over the years. And that made people angry. People were really, really upset about that because that was a huge amount of content that we had built and things that made us feel good. There was, you know, our front page, all our front pages and, and um, looking back, seeing these like long joking threads that, you know, we'd had with each other. And, and it was a part of internet history too, but that's all gone. I mean, Betaworks who bought the technology and the URL uh, gave all the users uh, JSON files with of our profiles so we sort of got that but i mean really it's like what are you going to do with the json file <laughs> like, 
I don't even know what to do with that one. I did actually import it into a spreadsheet for another project because I was looking, but it was such a mess to like look through. It was not very pretty. It was a little bit useful for what I was doing. Like it, there was a little bit of utility for it, but it was for a very specific project. And, but in general, it was not at all. Like I couldn't look through it and find all my front pages and stuff like that. It was, yeah, not useful. So what I'm hearing is basically have your own space, but also be on the other spots too. Cause you're talking about renting versus owning. Cause technically you rent your space on exactly. discord, even though I don't think Discord's going to go anywhere because it's, I think the last round of funding, they did like $15 billion. They're, they're insane right now, but I, yeah. I get what you're saying. Like, like dig did bust basically. Well, you know, it's not just, will they be around? It's like, in what form will they be around? Will they always be uh, will they always be affordable? Will they uh, go enter? And I'm not talking about Discord specifically in this, but like, will they become an enterprise company? Uh, are they freemium now and they're going to go to all paid? Are they, you know, there's, there's a lot of different things that can happen. I was a big user at the very beginning of uh, X.AI, which was a um, AI based uh, scheduling platform where basically you had this robot that would help you schedule appointments with other people and other people actually thought it was a real person they were talking to and they I'm super happy for them they got sold to uh, Bizaboo and they're being folded into uh, that platform which is a, a business focused platform that's a slightly different example because it was a tool that I used but they were acquired and Part of their original purpose is being kept folded into this other technology, but the rest of it is is sunsetting. That's a case where I'm just like, sorry to lose a tool that I've used, but I'm really happy for them because I know the people there and, and, you know, they totally deserved that happening. But that type of thing happens also with, uh, with social platforms. I mean, live fire, which all the rage and commenting a few years ago. And then, oh my God, who were they sold to? I'm blanking on who they were sold to. I think Microsoft or it was somebody else. And then Microsoft or something. I don't, I don't remember who bought them, but then they, then they went away and it was like, they were the best commenting platform at the time. Yeah. And almost like uh, Salesforce and Slack because Salesforce actually is acquiring Slack. And so we don't know if mm-hmm. Salesforce will fold it into Salesforce itself, and then it won't be freemium anymore because right now it's still free, but you never know once they acquire things, they may leave it for a few years and then the freemium part goes away and then it's folded into Salesforce as a more of a premium package. So we don't really know, but that would probably be the Mm -hmm. best example because I understand people would get that one. So yeah, I get it. Like you never really know who's going to buy out who. Mm -hmm. When you own, when you own your house, Unless like the government comes along and they're like, we're building a highway here, but they still got to pay you for it and you get to move somewhere else. I mean, obviously that's not optimal, but still the point being that when you own your house, you own that. When you're renting, if you're renting the house next door and that owner decides to sell and the person they sell to wants to tear the house down or live in it themselves, that's it. You're gone. You don't have any choice. And I think another good example was Intuit just bought Mail or is going to acquire MailChimp for like 
several billion dollars. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know what? And MailChimp acquired Tiny Letter a few years ago. And I knew a lot of people who used Tiny Letter because it was a great, super simple, very light in the code newsletter platform. And it was like if you didn't have like a big newsletter list and didn't need a lot of metrics around it and tracking, it was perfect. Then they bought it and it, the code got heavier and the, you know, yeah, you got some more stuff with it, but then eventually it just got completely folded into the MailChimp platform and people were on Tiny Letter because they didn't want MailChimp. Not because MailChimp was bad, but it was more and heavier than they needed. Yeah. So for all my PR pros out there, do both, but make sure you have your own space basically is the best way of saying it. You always want to have somewhere that, that you own. Gotcha. And then fun question for you. Could you create a better tool to create better communities or what tool would you want to have to create better communities or track them or see what they're doing? I, I do wish. And now of course this would make the code base heavier and, and could make it more intrusive for the users, but I wish there were ways to, track some sort of analytics on uh, on these platforms beyond like, you know, like if you search and you want to see like where someone has commented, it's just this huge list and you have to go through it manually. I mean, there's no way to really like export that and really analyze someone's behavior on that platform. And so even just a matter of seeing which channels someone is commenting in the most, Things like that, you might think that one channel is the busiest channel because of the number of posts, but then you realize it's really a handful of people who are driving that, and there's another channel where far more people are engaged. You know, there's, there's a lot more people who are, are actually commenting. Now, of course, you know, there's always lurkers, and you have no way of, of knowing that, and that's fine. There's only so much you can know. But that's, that's something that would be really useful to be able to see, to be able to track someone's use of, of your platform, uh, to really see where they're engaging and where the most people are engaging, uh, would be very useful things. And that really doesn't exist on Slack, Discord, Telegram, any of these. Not yet, at least. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. That's true. Yeah. Not yet. So if anyone's listening who can build these things, that's what I want. <laughs> All right. Any final thoughts for listeners? You know, I, I honestly, I think it's really uh, about, like I said earlier, just listening to people and, and, and not just listening to the words, but listening to the purpose behind the words. Because if, you, if you're actually listening, just like in real life, you know, where you're hearing, you know, there's a difference between hearing and listening. If you're listening to what people are really saying, you'll you can then figure out how you need to respond. And, and, you know, that's, that's really it. It's just like in real life, instead of just hearing what people are saying, actually listen to them. All right. PR pros. Now do some active listening instead of just hearing people. <laughs> all right, Amy, thank you for joining PR 360 and sharing your knowledge about communities and trolls and all that other fun stuff. Yep. Absolutely.
absolutely. Thank you for having me. And thank you for listening to PR360. As always, please subscribe to PR360 on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Leave a review. It really does help with the rankings and let us know how we're doing. Enjoy us next week as we talk to another great thought leader in the PR industry. All right, guys, stay safe. Get to building your communities and do some active listening and see you next week. Later.